Hey there, this is Dave Gershman. Welcome back to Reselect. Thanks for coming back and popping in for another episode. I apologize for the uh, delay between getting episodes out. We have a little bit of a scheduling issue at the moment, so uh, we are trying to spread out what we have. Uh, these episodes that you're hearing are recorded a few months ago, actually. We are trying to spread them out a little more so that uh, we can continue to bring you an uninterrupted flow of podcasts. Things should pick up toward the end of the summer um, once we're all available again as before. Uh, you know, COVID kind of screws up things too for just uh, getting together. We, in fact, have recorded the last few that you haven't heard yet um, remotely, and uh, hopefully you won't mind the the degradation of audio quality too much. My audio quality would be fine because I've got the recording equipment. Sarah and Eric, however, will be a little less high quality. Not them personally, but just their voices, you know. But for now, you're still hearing the older podcasts that we did um, when we still could, uh, which just gives you some idea of um, the stockpile we have. It's remarkable. Um, this episode is all about Tom Waits' Rain Dogs album from 1985. Tom is a remarkable artist. Uh, those who love him are passionate about it. Uh, those who do not care for his voice don't like him. And I think that's really the dividing line is the voice. If you can't handle that, then you probably just can't listen to him. But uh, if you can get past it, he's got an amazing depth of music recording techniques that incorporate sounds in pretty amazing ways. Uh, he's got a really good sonic palette, I think, uh, and some great side people recording with him. Um, Rain Dogs was the first album I heard by Tom Waits, I believe. I probably was aware of him, I think, but uh, he came mostly to light for me when, when I saw the movie Down by Law by Jim Jarmusch. Uh, it opens with a uh, song from this album, and uh, for me, it was love at first listen. The, uh, the album's really one of my favorites. As you'll hear, uh, Sarah and I are both longtime Tom Waits fans. Uh, Eric was familiar with him. I don't believe he'd ever listened to an entire album. In a moment, you'll find out his reaction to that. In fact, let's not waste any more time. Tom Waits is waiting. Are you going to do the same one every time, for, or are you going to redo it every time for the different... No, I do, like a, I, I do a unique yeah. intro for each show, each episode. Just, just, to, just Sarah and Dave and Eric talk about how <laughs> yeah, you do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hi, this is Dave. <laughs> <laughs> On today's episode, we talk a little bit about <laughs> Tom Waits. Yeah. <laughs> so this Tom Waits album, as, a, as, a, as we go through the process of selecting these different albums... You know, one of the really cool things about doing these podcasts is I'm learning a lot of, about artists that I hadn't really become very familiar with in the past. Mm -hmm. Tom Waits, I, uh, I knew his, the piano has been drinking. Mm -hmm. And I really love that song. That amuses me every time I hear that. The, hmm. This imagery that he has in there and, you know, these different inanimate objects having thoughts and feelings or emotions or whatever. You know, it's just, it was just really interesting to me. And I figured Tom Waits must be kind of an interesting guy, and I'd like to hear more of his music. I just never made time for it. Mm -hmm. But the two of you uh, suggested an album 
when the, when the opportunity came up to to uh, explore Tom Waits a little bit for myself, you, you two suggested a Rain Dogs, and uh, what what a great introduction! You know, I've, I've really enjoyed exploring uh, Tom Waits through this, and and it made me once it made me want to learn more as a experience came about me, and and um and I did did in fact go through and, and a song that's not on this album that we're going to look at uh, the Chocolate Jesus mm. was really mm. really something else. I, I mean, love it when he goes gospel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's one where he does this weird lispy thing that he does in some of his songs. Well, in the YouTube video, he uses a uh, megaphone. Yeah. He, oh, yeah. He yeah. likes it's to like, do that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> he he plays with sound a lot. I mm-hmm. there was an interview years ago in Germany with him where he talks about um, the way he listens and likes to hear things. He likes to hear things in kind of an oral landscape, like if the windows open. And you hear the song played on a radio and the car and like the kids on the street. He's like, it's like if you look at a water stain on the the wallpaper and it looks like Africa. <laughs> That's consistent with what I was uh, what I was reading about him. Also, uh, you know, he uh, would take a cassette recorder and go out into the streets of New York when he was doing this album, mm. and uh, try and try and mimic you know the the feel of the sounds that he recorded on his on his cassette recorder. Mm-hmm. You know, the, um, the album is, uh, meant to capture quote unquote, the urban dispossessed in New York city. And, uh, mm-hmm. I think, I think he, after I read that, I realized he, he, he did a pretty good job of that. And, and, and many of his lyrics and even the album titles seem to be consistent with that. For, for me, um, there's a song on this record, Gun Street Girl, mm-hmm. which is the first Tom Waits song I ever listened to. My brother made me a mixtape when I was in high school and I can still picture with startling clarity, the room I was in and the light in that room. The first time I heard that song and I was just like blown away by his voice. It had so Mm -hmm. much, Mm -hmm. so much character to it. I mean, I even at that time had a sense that maybe that this was a white guy trying to imitate a black blue singer's voice but I was still so impressed by, I could hear the depth of his voice, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't just this like imitation. It was like the deepness of it and the, the texture of it was like nothing I had ever heard before. And I was immediately, Im- just instantly like this, I like this. Mm-hmm. And then the storytelling aspect of that song, so many images of it still stick with me so strongly. This, you know, um, someone washing their hair, dyeing their hair in the sink of a bathroom. Right. I love that line. Um, <laughs> gas station bathroom, you know, like it's so it's just his, his storytelling is so strong. Yeah. He, uh, I mean, that's, that's one of his biggest strengths. I think is his, uh, the imagery he can conjure up for, mm-hmm. Every this every story that he tells in these songs, and I mean, it's it reminds me a lot of you know beat poetry, sort of just that sure. kind of yeah, and that's really I think the tradition he's coming out of and, and or inspired by or whatever. Well, that, that's know. one thing that struck me about him quite yeah. a lot. Also, even even the first song I referenced, "Piano's Been Drinking," uh, going going through all these right here and hearing these for the first time. You know, a great example is Ninth and Hennepin. Mm. Is that the name? Mm-hmm, of mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It's just like this. Really, I could I could see these things in my own mind as he's talking about them, and yeah. and his pace with his lyrics allows that opportunity also. Mm-hmm. Know, so I'm, I'm I'm drawing this up in my own brain of of what he's singing about, and it I, I felt connected to it almost immediately. Well, and Ninth and Hennepin is a classic Tom Wayne song too, because it's got the line in it about how all prostitutes have yeah, names that, that sound like donuts. You know, <laughs> it's like when you're in high school and you listen to this music, it's just imminently quotable that he says things mm-hmm. that, you know, at a young age, things that I had never 
contemplated. There's one song. It's not on this record. He has where he says something about um. There is no devil. There's just God when he's drunk. <laughs> that's from Heart Attack and Vine. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I actually uh, specific to that donut, uh, the prostitutes and donuts mm. line. Apparently, there really was a donut shop that had that was in the red light district or something that <laughs> that actually <laughs> did something like that. So it's actually based in some kernel of truth. Apparently. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, yeah, the idea I, of truth in Tom Waits is a deliberate well, yeah, yeah, obfuscation. Yeah. Like this, right. all, if you read interviews of him or biographies of him, <clears throat> it's he just constantly makes makes things up. It's like yeah. nearly impossible to tell what's real right, about him. Right. Well, since we're on that song, my favorite, my favorite lines here from that, and the clock ticks out like a dripping faucet till you're full of rag water and bitters and blue ruin, and you spill out over the side to anyone who will listen. Mm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Just very such evocative imagery and ways of seeing things. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. not every line in there is like that, but most of them. Most. Yeah. Of them well, like right. He, he doesn't waste words mm-hmm. much. I would say. I mean, he doesn't just throw things off ever. Feels it feels like every every phrase is really well thought mm-hmm. out and perfected, or, or it flows so nicely. Yeah, it really yeah. does. Yeah. And, and and as you talked about his voice, uh, my my gosh, man. The, the variability that he can pull off and just on this album here you know the the rough voice I tried to imitate it and my throat hurts after yeah. a sentence <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can't yeah do I don't it. know how he does it can't yeah. do it um, yeah there's like a clip he goes on he's been on Letterman a bunch <clears throat> they really like to mess with each other yeah, yeah. Um, there's oh, one performance after this. Frank's Wild Years came out which is a record that came out a record that came out after this because that one came out in 86 and this is 85 yeah, yeah. Yeah. So boom, boom, just kind of crazy as an output. But he goes on Letterman and performs a song from Frank's Wild Years, and they kind of chit chat. And Letterman asks him about his voice, like how he takes care of it. And then he says, "Oh, you know, I take care of it. I have a doctor. It's the same doctor for that Frank Sinatra has." And Letterman is like, "Oh, well, I hope you know you're gonna end up like him." And he's like, "Oh, you mean rich and successful?" And like just this ridiculous banter. But he goes to play and. He goes over to uh, like an organ that he's going to play his song on because I think he plays like maybe Hang On St. Christopher or something like that, which has a lot of heavy organ music. But he takes, you know, those lights you use in your garage that have like the orange part with the bulb and the mm-hmm. white yeah. cage over yeah. it. Hang he on. comes out and he's got an orange extension cord, the whole thing, like straight from your garage. And he turns it on, hangs it from his collar <laughs> and plays with the light hung on his shirt yeah. through the whole song. And it's just like this stupid quick thing that he does and it changes the whole experience into yeah. this like totally different thing oh that's cool <laughs> those little touches that he in everything he does and and writes about and Liz Letterman perf- I, I started thinking of his performances because they're so so fun to watch and like he's just so quick he's just his mind works in such a it's, it's he's actually he'd make a fantastic comedian I don't know if he ever tried doing any stand-up but yeah, his he's, humor, he's, his all uh, of his songs are funny. Yeah, they right? are funny. They're, yeah, they're, yeah. This yeah. whole which one is it on this one specifically? Um, uh, Cemetery Polka, where mm. it's all about all the terrible family members. That song is hilarious, and yeah. you know, anytime you listen to, anytime I play that for anyone, it's got such a consistent rhythm to it, and kind mm. of a jumpy, like marchy kind of rhythm to it. But people always will pick out a line or two and just be like, "Wait, what?" and then laugh at it because it's just a constant like. You know, Uncle Vernon, independent as a hog. <laughs> it's just ridiculous, but it's like so fun to listen to. It's like this demented circus polka mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's like it's got a very circusy. Mm-hmm. Well, it uses that circus organ kind of. Farfisa, Farfisa. organ. Farfisa. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Hmm. 
Do you know what that is? It's Dave? the thing that makes that sound. <laughs> I, I do. I mean, I've heard of them before, and I, I couldn't tell you like what makes it different than other types of organs, but but it's very distinct. That that of his instruments, he, what an array. Mm. There was there was one song. It's a xylophone and a tuba. Marimba. Mm. <laughs> so many tubas yeah. in his music. Weirdly, I don't know why. Well, oh. he um. The, the, the range of instruments he uses, of actual instruments, is pretty wide, but he also does a lot of the just like found sounds right. or clanking mm-hmm. things. Right. And uh, there's this great quote of his. Apparently, he, he mistrusts uh, fashionable studio techniques to get sounds. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, if I want a sound, I usually feel better if I've chased it and killed it, skinned it, and cooked it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Most things you can get with a button nowadays. So if I was trying for a certain drum sound, my engineer would say, oh, for Christ's sake, why are we wasting our time? Let's just hit this little cup with a stick here and sample something. And he'd say, uh, no, I'd rather go in the bathroom and hit the door with a piece of two by four very hard. <laughs> which I think they actually did for yeah. one of the songs. Yeah. Well, I, I think that was an actual, but... yeah, yeah. Yeah. It comes across, I think, in these two. It's just like a lot of clanking and banging and, mm-hmm. and just, it's, it's awesome the way it all works together. It just feels like this, this clock machine kind mm, of thing. That's just, a good way of putting it. Yeah. Like it's like, well, he built a machine mm. that I think they called the Conundrum. On his 1994 album, um, Bone Machine, the oh. one that he won the Grammy for, mm-hmm. for Best Alternative Album of the Year, it was built out of farm machinery. You had mentioned that. <laughs> and it had like a crank you. on it. <laughs> you had turned it in there. I, I was not actually aware of that. I, I, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. Well, if it's true, who knows? I want to believe all of it. Well, well beating the door with a two by four, that was, that's like emblematic of, of just how basic and simple it could be, but yeah. he makes it sound good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, one of the things I've always really enjoyed about his music is the percussion, like not just because he built stuff out of found objects or just experiments so much, but I love, I love, 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 have always loved the percussion mixes in his music. His rhythm is so driving and so deliberate. What's crazy to me though, is on this record, my favorite song of it, Tango Till They're Sore, doesn't have drums in it. (laughs) There's no percussion in that song. There's a double bass, which is percussive, but... No drums. Let's let's hear a little bit of that one. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds drunk from the it's moment it starts. Right? I know. Like yeah. it's offbeat. It's like a it's like a slant rhyme of a tango. You've ever seen clips of him playing piano? Yeah. His really mm-hmm. long fingers and they oh. look like they're double jointed <laughs> and he will slam I kind of struggled with this song. The, um, the sound of the piano doesn't set with me very well. But I, I think it's it's so fitting for the song. It's just yeah. like it's, you didn't like it because of the out of tune aspect of it. I suppose because it's like it sounds out of tune. Yeah. Like it's just it's just off. Maybe, maybe it's just those notes are what are supposed to be there, but just a little, mm. uh-huh. like uh-huh. nudged a little mm-hmm. to the side, you know, to a little out of tune. But it's and it's it's consistent with his type of music, so I can appreciate it because of that. Mm. But as as one of the songs on this album, it didn't rate very highly for me. That trombone 
that dusky, mm-hmm. mournful. It sounds like a just minimal perfect. It sounds <laughs> like a, a New Orleans funeral. Actually, a few yes. few few songs in this kind of have evoked that right. New Orleans feel to me. Well, it's not just the type of music that comes out of New Orleans, but to me, this song feel. I mean, he name checks New Orleans in the song. He's talking about it, but the whole story of the lyrics of like falling out of the window and hide my clarinet beneath your bed. Like to me, it's so such a rich story of like this musician who like drinks too much, but isn't like a, isn't someone you dislike. And you know, it's like, he's kind of begging his partner, but like, I'm sorry, I'm drunk again. And it's just this beautiful, weird, like story that just keeps going around and around. And I just picture like a, an apartment in New Orleans with really high ceilings and white walls mm-hmm. and like the light. And it just, it's so evocative of that. I find, I just find the atmosphere of the song yeah. so strong in mm-hmm. all of the ways that are there. And I mean, it actually, if you, you can interpret the, the lyrics too, to be about his, um, what his wishes are for his own funeral. It, it bears a thematic resemblance and not to mention the title slightly to a song by Scott Walker, who, uh, somebody we referenced in uh, our Nico Case discussion, uh, who's a very theatrical kind of singer himself, uh, very different from Tom Waits. But uh, he had a song called Funeral Tango in which he also laid out his wishes for his funeral. Hmm. And uh, so I I, I suspect that Tom may have been inspired somewhat by that because I I think he's a Scott Walker fan as Mm. well. He also, uh, Funeral Tango versus Cemetery Polka, also the, the titles there bear mm. some mm. perhaps mm. coincidental Indeed. resemblance, but I don't know. Mm. I, think his, yeah. I think he's got a way better <clears throat> funeral song on, um, I think it's on Bone Machine. It's a song called Come On Up To The House. It's such a great, like, the night is broken and the sun is coming up or whatever. Come on up to the house. Mm. like come down off the cross we can use the wood come on up to the house it's just like this great that's a good song yeah, i won't play at awesome. my funeral yeah, yeah i know that already my very first experience with this album was in college i guess it was like a year or so after it came out but it was uh, the song uh, jockey full of bourbon was featured in the intro introduction or the opening sequence of uh the down by law movie by jim jarmusch we went to see that when it was screened at the at, at school and uh like immediately it just captured me and and it it also it set the tone perfectly for the movie as mm. it turned out but it was just like it leaps right in there and uh i was immediately taken with tom waits and mm-hmm. i i may have heard a song or two of his before I, I don't remember but from that point on i was a fan and i immediately got rain dogs or i taped it from a friend who had it or something and uh it's still i think my favorite song on the album probably just if not for sentimental value but it's also i think it's super catchy sort of and and the guitar in it is amazing it's mark rebo plays guitar throughout this album and he's he's done a lot of other session work with like elvis costello and a lot of other well-known people but i forget who at the moment uh but it's so he does this great film noir theme kind of guitar on this one and he's just got this great style for that so I'm going to play it a little bit. I do love the vocal style in this one, too. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like a whisper singing growl. Yeah. Also, that kind of chugging guitar in the background. It's very subtle. Guitar? Who knows what that is? It, I, I think it's a guitar. guitar. I think it's like with the, like muting the strings. Yeah. Hmm. I checked the YouTube video up for this song. It's really good also. Two dollar pistol, put the gun on the shoe. I'm in the corner on the board. 
I think I figured out what's going on with that background shuffle guitar or whatever. It's actually got a little bit of tremolo on it. You have to listen really closely, but it's like it's being he's, he's striking it and then it's like echoing a little bit and it's just doing this weird thing. Mm-hmm. This, I, is, this is one of his songs too that does a thing that he does on all of his records where there's a bunch of songs that have this amazing thing that happens at the very end of the song. Like five seconds before the song ends, there's some like one line or one guitar lick or something that's like the best part of the whole song. And it's like as it's trailing off. <laughs> right. That's... Like this part gets repeated at the end in a really rad way. This, this, this has so many good lyrics in it too. I can't really pick a favorite. But the, the chorus, I don't know if you're familiar with this, is taken from a, an old English nursery rhyme, actually. Mm. I'm going to pause this. Jockey full of bourbon? No, not that part. <laughs> uh, the, the old English nursery rhyme is called Lady Bird, Lady Bird. And it's, uh, it's, I, I, I don't remember. I must have had this in a children's book when I was growing up because I automatically recognized it when I first heard the song. But uh, the actual rhyme goes, Lady Bird, Lady, Lady Bird, fly away home. Your house is on fire and your children are gone. All except one, and her name is Anne, and she hid under the baking pan. It's depressing. Um, and he changed it to, but hey, little bird, fly, fly away, away home. home. Your house is on fire, and your children are gone. And so, took it, lifted it pretty closely. Yeah, uh, from that. But yeah, nice connection there. But he made it his own. Obviously, it fits right into his other lyrics in there. One of the things I really like about his albums is that he uses really, really fucking amazing studio musicians just musicians in yeah. general mm-hmm. and he uses them really effectively like keith richards is on a couple of songs yeah. on this record but it's pretty subtle the mix right mm-hmm. like you'd think that someone like tom waits who's not well known when this record came out would if he's got keith richards on his record he would be blasting Amp that forefront yeah. but <laughs> like you know the first mm-hmm. when he's on um um blind love which is the song mm-hmm. i danced to at my wedding Oh. Um, which I still love the song, even though I'm divorced. <laughs> it's so good. It, is, it, it's, it transcends. It's a pretty heartbreaking song, actually. I, yeah. But it's regardless of your connection to but it. But he, the vocal, like when, when he sings backup, he sings yeah. like some supporting vocals. They don't come in until the, after the second verse. And all he says is your name. Yeah. Which is like one of the most, actually, that's the best part of the entire song is that little, that little, little, little your name after the. Keith Richard doesn't sing a whole lot, but when he does, it's, it's very distinctively him, you know. And he's he has like three songs with the Stones that he did that are are his songs. Like Happy, I think is is one one of the big ones that he sings. But yeah, having him as a backing vocalist it only works for Tom Waits, I think. Hmm. <laughs> they do it's, beautiful harmonies. It together. is. It, there's no, a bunch of there's he's on a bunch of his records, <clears throat> and they have this really interesting harmony together. It's yeah. really cool. There's yeah. one on his latest record called Last Leaf on the Tree. It's the best. It's two of them howling together about how they're the last leaf on the tree. The autumn took the rest, but it won't take me. Yeah. I'm the last leaf on the tree. It's just great. <laughs> yeah, I think they've become close friends over the years, and I, I, I'm not sure of the story of their original meeting. Do you know anything about that, Sarah? I don't. I only know a story that Tom Waits told to Letterman about Keith Richards, where Letterman was asking him, how he knew him, how he worked with him. And he was like, oh, Keith, he's this great guy. He's got this amazing voice. He goes out into the field and he calls and all the cows come. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you're working with him, you know, you, you don't finish everything. You finish the bottle. 
but you don't finish all the things. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you know, I, you can recognize Keith's guitar playing on some of these songs. Like, you know, it, it fits right in uh, with Tom's style, but, but it, uh, like on Big Black Mariah, mm-hmm. you can clearly hear it's him. Uh, if you're familiar with the Stones, his his work with the Stones, obviously, um, like right there. I also love the way he sings on this. That song. wailing, yeah. I know. It's so good. So it's like it's being ripped out of his throat. Yeah. yeah. Like like he's it's, a, it's like he's passed out, nearly passed out, drunk on the ground, but he's still singing. He's like still forcing himself to like. <laughs> But that, that guitar, that's got Keith Richards' tone all over it, you know. Hmm. But it's so subtle, really. You know, I listened to this after I learned that Keith Richards played on it, and I, I couldn't pick it out, so thanks for... Can you start it here? Well, he like doesn't that. do vocals on this. No, just no vocals, just the guitar. Yeah. I think that's him too, that little, that more jang, jangly, I don't know, whatever, it's not really jangly, but higher pitched guitar. I like the back and forth of this song. So many of his songs, especially for me, Tango Till They're Sore, like, you can picture like a, an animated band that's like in a group and all kind of like, wavering together in exactly uh-huh, like uh-huh. synchronized motion. That's how I feel about a An lot of animated these songs. band. I would love well, to see a cartoon yeah. based on Tommy. <laughs> <Sons. laughs> <That'd be something. laughs> it's like the Archies, but the, yeah. the Tommies or something. God, and just like let him make up all of his spin, yeah. all of his yarns. Yeah. Most songs you can come up with a visual mm. aspect of that, but you know, Tom Waits, I think does that. Uh, he's, he's, he exemplifies that much more than most other artists. I think mm. a visual mm-hmm. aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it conjures up a lot of mm-hmm. imagery. His his word is his words are very vivid. His his voice, you know, it, I, I'm I'm always marveling how how does how does he do that? You know, the, the without killing, you know, really hurting his voice. But he like it keeps changing. It's not always the same gravelly mm-hmm. voice. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. like there's yeah. one here. Singapore sounds just like Cookie Monster singing a song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'll just play a teeny bit of that in here. Oh, there's a, a line in this song that just cracks me up. They're making feet for children's shoes. Yes. <laughs> it's like, me one cookie. Yeah. yeah it's, the, the, the pacing is a mm-hmm. cookie monster thing, too. <laughs> I don't think he was trying for that, but it, it just... It's crazy man. That that line you mentioned, the making feet for children's shoes. There was some interp. I was wondering what that meant, and there was some interpretation interpretation that I read uh, a euphemism for something. Oh, oh, actually no. I think it was a couple of people believed it was a sex thing, having sex. <laughs> making feet. <laughs> making for feet for children's shoes. shoes. Yeah, I didn't quite figure out where that was coming from, but well, you're making babies. Well, that that was sort oh. of the best I could. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good, Eric. Right. Right. I, well, I, th- I think that was what they were going for, but uh. yeah, I don't even want to tell you where my head was trying to make that work. <laughs> um, you know, one of the songs that really surprised me that I really liked a lot 
recently was clap hands. Uh, mm-hmm. um, it just, every time I would start to listen to it, you know, like, you know, we're prepping for, to talk about the, you know, talk about these, this record. And so I'm like making notes and going back and forth between songs. And, but clap hands is like the one for some reason I could not skip through. It would start playing and I'd be like, well, Gotta listen to this I all really the way wanna, through. Yeah. Part of it is trying to figure out what the fuck they're doing with the percussion in it. Oh, it yeah. sounds like they're hitting gl- giant glass jars in a bathroom. Yeah, I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's a marimba, like a somewhat muted marimba that he's mm. doing. Right. Like there's there's something sitting on the keys maybe in some place, so it doesn't really it's probably a cat ring off. <laughs> that would be awesome. Right. <laughs> it's not like deliberate. It's Wait, just look. a cat that wandered in the studio, and he's like, eh, let's go with it. Yeah, this was like my this, favorite song on the album. Yeah? That, yeah. that sound there. I'm pretty sure it's it's the hitting of a mallet on a wooden marimba, and there's something affecting the sound slightly. But I love that it's it's so mm-hmm. atmospheric. It's just yeah, yeah. Uh, I like this. This is a great. The whole album is great to listen to late at night, but this mm-hmm. one is like especially. You know what I found about this album is I, my first introduction to it was like I would do any other album I just kind of have it playing in the background while I'm mm-hmm. cooking or whatever sure, you know? yeah. that is not appropriate for this album this, <laughs> this album is meant to be listened to it's designed I, for that I but I think it could work that way too I don't know it depends what you're doing I guess yeah. but you know I, I, I mean I just like it on all the time yeah. <laughs> no matter what you're doing yeah. well I go through well I go through periodic phases where um, I have I have nearly all of his records on vinyl and I have nearly all of his discography and my that I've purchased digitally so I have in my phone all the time and I'll just hit shuffle on all of his songs. Oh my. And I'll just <laughs> do that for weeks because there's so much of it. Yeah. And there's so many different phases. Like when I initially I think I liked his this kind of more era of the the more like choppy kind of alternate music I guess you could call it. And the bone machine. But then I went through this phase in college with a couple of friends I met and that we found out we connected by our enjoyment of Tom Waits. And we got really into listening to his volumes one and two, especially volume two. He's got these two collections called Early Years Volume One and Early Years Volume Two. And they're completely different from any of this. <laughs> like it's very soft vocals. It's pre right. the piano's been drinking. It's like beat style lyricism, but very soft folk singer mm-hmm. style. And right. Yeah. They're just heartbreakingly beautiful songs. Yeah. And we would all sit around and like drink bourbon and like get all weepy over this music together. And so that was like a phase of my Tom Waits interest. And then I went through this phase with Bone Machine where I used to run on the battlefield by my college and listen to Bone Machine all the time. And it was perfect. Like the sky would get gray and these birds would come and I would just be like, dig into the, you know, <laughs> murder. There's a murder in the red barn. Good stuff. Well, the, um, yeah, you know, as I said earlier, I, this was really my first album that introduced me to Tom Waits so it wasn't till it took a little while to get around to listening to his earlier stuff and I was surprised to hear how much of a more of a singer he was then I mean he's still was Tom Waits you know but he he actually was more melodic he didn't have the gruff gravelly thing yet he he didn't he he didn't put on that persona and and you know it was it it was very effective for a lot of stuff but it it, in a way it sounded I mean he was more of a, a piano bar singer you know and and um, I think on this album, there's there's one song that still harkens back to that perspective, and that's um, uh, Time, mm-hmm. which I think he... It's the one he sings the most, mm-hmm. I think. 
more traditionally singing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And uh, it's a beautiful song. I think it's just a... It's also it's, when he said he would never perform again. Why oh, really? is it? Yeah, it just... Um, I don't know. It. I just heard him in an interview one time talking about stuff, his old... Because someone was like, oh, you have this vast catalog and different phases you've been through in your career. And he's like, yeah, a lot of that older stuff, like I can't fat, like I can't imagine mm-hmm. ever performing again, like Time, for example. I wonder if he thinks it's too sappy or something or too... Well, I feel like too there's, hard the there's sleeve, a type yeah. of... Like Time is one of them. And then um, Downtown Train. Downtown Train, yeah. And then... Um, uh, there's blind love more on here. No, hang not, your head. Not blind love. Um, hang your head is a pretty uh, yeah. Hang down your head. Story. Yeah, yeah, those yeah. kind of all fall into this category that feel mm-hmm. a little less unique musically. They're they're, right? they're more poppy almost. Yeah. I, I would say well, sort I mean, of by Rod, his standards. Rod Stewart right. took Downtown Train right. and turned right. it into like yeah. a crazy hit. Yeah. Well, and Time has been covered by a lot of people, and mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but I, I think regardless of what he may think about it or yeah, associated with it in his own playing. Um, I, I do think it's a beautiful song and I, you know, about the inevitability of the passing of time or that's the, the effects of time. I'm, I'm going to play a little bit of that. So. There's a beautiful melody too. It just makes it sound so effortless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's just talking, but in a mm. in a singing voice. Right, it's like he's talking, but just happens to be in tune with the, in the tune of the song, the melody of the song. It's really nice little guitar touches in there too. there it's like even with that time that you love so it's like I, I don't know I mean there's a couple different ways you can interpret that well most of his lyrics are like that too he likes to play around with words yeah. like the feet and the shoes kind of thing yeah you know, making exactly feet for shoes like flip the meaning <laughs> and then it, you're confused and it, and it doesn't right. bother him that you may not be able to figure it out yeah it's clearly no, it's, doesn't uh, matter, probably right? appreciates that yeah yeah there are a number of songs on here that I was going through the lyrics and trying to understand what he's talking about, and I struggled <laughs> on some of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, I think, yeah, that's, in some respects, that's what makes it kind of fun. Mm-hmm. It's like just it's like there's so many possibilities, and, and you, in the end, it doesn't really matter. matter, right? Yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Which songs does John? Oh, John Lurie plays alto sax on "Walking Spanish." Yeah, John Lurie is one of the uh, other actors in the "Down by Law" movie. Uh, also, he was in a band called the Lounge Lizards. It's a great that Tom Waits described their music as like it's like if you're like you're walking down the street and you hear the kind of jazz that'll blow you out of the door if you try to go in the building. <laughs> Skrunk, I think is what they that, refer to it as. Yeah. It's kind of yeah, scrunk yeah. jazz. It's just it's, it's like fun music. Bleeding bleating, not bleeding, but yeah. Just, yeah, he's on there in a few places and uh I think I, I there was a couple other oh on on downtown train, mm. uh it's the the I find that to be the most, it's kind of the slickest yeah. 
song on the album. And part of that, uh, it's also the most Springsteen-ish song. I realized yeah. it's a very Springsteen-like song. And, um, but the slickness may have something to do with the fact that he's like, it got an entirely different lineup of musicians that are very, very much session musicians. And they're mm-hmm. just used to like being pros, you know? Um, he's got Robert Quine on there who, um, played with Lou Reed and Matthew Sweet. Um, G.E. Smith, who mm-hmm. was, played with Hall & Oates. He was their guitarist for many years. And he was also the Saturday Night Live. Um, he, he led the Saturday Night Live band for quite a few years. Um, and uh, oh, he played with Bowie also on like uh, the big '80s albums. Um, Tony Levin, who was with King Crimson and Peter Gabriel, so all these like amazing musicians uh, technically, and they. But in a way, it almost it's almost too good. They're almost too good for the song. Like, they're not good because Mark Rebo is an amazing guitarist too. But just like they must play it too professionally, you know. Mm. There's yeah, and it it, it kind of it it doesn't it stands out on the album a little bit as not fitting in as well. Mm. I think I, that caught me also. That uh, well, Sarah, you mentioned that song and a couple of the others. Uh, Hang your head down. Mm-hmm. Any, anyway, these these songs sound more normal or traditional. Mm-hmm. They seem so out of character yeah. for the rest of the album. I, yeah. I found them a little less interesting. Although you know, I enjoyed I, them all the same. But mm-hmm. they, they're inconsistent with what I was enjoying about Tom Waits' voice and his mm-hmm. music. And so I, they they were not. My favorites, although I, I don't want to discredit them, they're they're good songs. I think I think "Hang Down Your Head" and "Time" are different, but I think they fit in better because they're just more like like him pulling back for a minute and just uh, telling a, a more direct story or something. And and like instrumentally, I think they fit in more with the rest of the album. And "Downtown Train," though, I I think it just sort of stands out when it's like a sore thumb, but it's it's just kind of you know. Oh, and, and the other song that I was trying to think of was Blind Love also. It's, it's mm. kind of like a more traditional, oh, normal song. That's great, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Downtown Train always makes me think of his other song on Heart Attack and Vine called Jersey Girl, which just makes me want to weep every time I listen to it. It's such a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. It's just a song about a guy like being in love with a girl from Jersey and like riding the train to go see her. Well, actually, the uh, one of my favorite lyrics on uh, Blind Love is uh, they say if you get far enough away, mm-hmm. you'll be on your way back home. Well, I'm at the station and mm-hmm. I can't get on the can't train. Can't get on the train. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then he, the next song is Walking Spanish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, you know, he this groovy, mm-hmm. groovy song about a prisoner walking to execution. Or at least that's the way I. Uh, well, walking. You know it. what walking Spanish means? Yeah, I. Well, I, it's I, like when 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 someone like lifts someone by the collar and like forces them, oh. so they're being like marched, kind of. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, I, I, but from what I, I was, I was looking into that too. And I, I also got the idea that it was sort of like, despite it being like, you know, let's say walking to your death or something, you're still doing it with dignity sort of, but, uh, I, I do love the song. That's just it's such a, uh-huh. like that groove. Uh-huh. So good. That's a good use of a sax right there. Mm-hmm. I sometimes can't stand sax and rock songs, but I definitely like it here. Unless it's morphine. I love morphine. (laughs) 
just picture that the studio uh, staff having to like wipe down the microphone after this one. It's like spraying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very juicy. Yeah. Um, I guess he brings his own microphone. I didn't realize I was listening to this earlier and in one of the one of the verses he says tomorrow morning there'll there'll be laundry and the way he says it he says laundry and I didn't realize that that's where I whenever I use the word laundry in my head you say part, laundry I'm in my laundry head, like, laundry <laughs> it totally came out of this song. that's I hilarious I didn't put that together yeah. laundry I was reading about one of his instructions to uh, a guitarist <laughs> that was uh, playing on some of his songs it was a fellow named Mark Rybot. Rebo. Rebo. Yeah, he's Thank the you. one I was talking about earlier. Plays oh, okay. with Elvis Costello and ah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Mark Rebo's talking uh, about some of the experiences with Tom Waits, and he yeah. says he gave him instructions one time to play his guitar a certain way, and he said, <laughs> I play that. it like a midget's bar mitzvah." <laughs> like, what the <laughs> I, fuck does that? I, mean? I read that too. That's so good. <laughs> I mean, so it's funny. just he writes songs like that. He talks like that in you know in his public persona in any way. Well, it's like in, yeah. unending. <laughs> oh, M- Mark Rebo, uh, that was his first uh, major label recording. Mm-hmm. He hadn't done a lot before that. Or any, I guess. Um, and he said he thought everybody made records the way Tom does. And, yeah. and he found yeah. out very differently. Very unique. <laughs> yes, yeah. it was a very different way of approaching things. Um, a couple of things I wanted to say about the album itself is that, first of all, I, f- I didn't realize this, but I always thought the cover photo was him mm, like common misconception it's some, some really weird mm-hmm. like it was it's kind of a creepy photo mm-hmm. and uh it turns out it's actually an old photo from uh, a photographer named anders peterson um it a photo was taken in hamburg near the red light district uh, in the late 1960s and uh it just happens to look bear a, bear a close resemblance to to him but it always seemed like this weird childlike version of him it was just I, but I, I was kind of yeah. glad to hear it wasn't him because I, it helped me like stop trying to figure out what, well, <laughs> what I know was going that's on the there. cool thing about yeah. it that it's like close enough mm-hmm. yeah. I know I was in the yeah. same position yeah. like I've spent years looking at it I have a painting on this record cover I've, I saw it just a moment ago in fact it's in the stairwell yeah. Um, but yeah I, I've sat for so much time staring at this record cover while I'm listening <laughs> yeah. to it. Like, is it? No, but maybe it is. It's an amazing thing. It's a good trick then yeah. to yeah. have used it. I, I'm sure he was aware of what, uh, I, I well, would assume he was aware of the resemblance or somebody was. who somebody, somebody. Who knows, you know, when it comes to yeah. record companies, how much artists have mm-hmm. an influence over album artwork. You yeah. know, I don't, yeah. know. I don't I know. I hear stories that go both ways. Hmm. The, the other thing I was going to mention was that, uh, uh, the accolades this album has received over the years. Uh, well, in 1985, it was picked as the number one album of the year by the NME in England. So even What's then, it was mean? it was getting huh? Who's the NME? Uh, New Music Express. Oh, is that a magazine or just a yeah, magazine? Yeah, that's oh. that's like their big uh, their big music uh, publication. At least at the time, mm. it was it was mm. big in the 80s, and I, mm. I I think it's still. Um, Pitchfork has uh, named it as uh, one of the top ten albums of the 80s. Rolling Stone had it number 21 on its uh, list of 100 best albums of the 80s, and also number 399 on its 500 greatest albums of all time. Wow. Mm. Pretty significant. I mean, you know, any position on there would be good to have. Um, and it's also in the book 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die, 
which actually I have that book and uh, I haven't gotten to rain dogs yet, but <laughs> it's a very, very hard book to read because there's so much in there. And mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's recognized by a lot of people as uh And rightfully so. Yeah. Rightfully so. It's, it's funny. Like I never really, I know all of these songs so well after my, like, you know, the shuffle thing that I do and I, but it's been a really long time since I've listened to it start to finish and it, as a coherent total record, it's super fucking mind blowing. Especially that it came out in 1985. Mm-hmm. You know, like the production value still sounds like perfect. Uh, you know, like you listen to it now and it doesn't yeah. feel dated. Yeah. No, I think it, part of that is because he uses so many traditional song structures as bases for his songs. So, like the rhythm and the just the structure of them sounds like familiar, even if you don't know what a tarantella or a tango mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. like part of you recognizes You're it right. and that gives gives it this timelessness. Yeah. And he, he produced the album himself. Mm. So he didn't like use some, you know, hip at the moment producer who would have like maybe given it this, you know, more dated feel, mm-hmm. you know, and he just trying to present his songs in the best way possible. And I, pretty sure he's somebody who doesn't care about trends, you know? Um, so, uh, so it, it, I think it worked for the best for him. And, and I don't think there are too many of his albums that suffer from production. I just feel like, I feel like as a whole record, this it has so much texture to it. It has so much variance, you know, it would be like a landscape that has rolling hills and mm-hmm. spiky mm-hmm. mountains and like a beach, you know, <laughs> like it changes and it's beautiful in that way. Like you can turn it around and look at it from any angle and they all look a little different. You know, like it just, yeah. they all kind of play together in this interesting way. I don't understand quite how they fit together, but they do. Yeah. And as a, just as a back to front record, this has to be one of my top, even though I, oh, I would have said I like Frank's Wild Years better. I don't know. You said that a little ago, yeah. I did. Mm, <laughs> I don't want to examine that too closely. Because <laughs> I also love Bob Machine. Yeah, I'll have to give uh, Frank's Wild Years another closer listen again. It's been a long time since I've, since I'm, I've. Definitely minority in that one. Whenever I yeah. talk to other Tom Waits fans, yeah. I, I, it's my favorite. And they're like, really? Oh, I, I, I definitely love that one. I, I just, mm. I need to give it some comparison. Well, you talked about the variability Play. in his voice. You know, mm-hmm. the, um, you know, I, I mentioned the the songs that seem kind of normal and traditional, mm. and then there's the other ones that he's so gravelly that the mm. variability in that, it's, it's just amazing to be able to pull that off. And uh, I, I've decided that his voice is a superhero. Mm. Yeah, I think so. No, I thought it's a superpower. Didn't you say it's a superpower? Or it is a superhero well, itself. Well, they kind of go hand in hand. It's like its own <laughs> well, thing. Yeah. 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 I always feel like he, the, the control he has over it is operatic. The variance that he uses it, the mm. weird lisping he does, he does this thing in a lot of like his records where there's like a crow or a, a, a rooster crowing and it's him. <laughs> he like does all this weird shit yeah, with it and it's yeah. like the breadth of what he can do with it and how he can Amazing, control it right? is completely remarkable and it makes me really bummed out when people are like oh he's just that gravelly drunk piano guy and i'm like oh there's uh, so much they're more. missing yeah they're, but, they're just don't it just doesn't connect with some people i guess and i yeah i guess i can see that i mean it's not for everybody yeah but i'm sure glad i <laughs> <laughs> I, it connects with me because yeah. it's nice to be able to appreciate it for, for what me it, it was always a password you know like before in pre-internet days when you had to dig around for to find sh- cool shit right when you it would just be something you were lucky enough to witness or someone cool told you about something whenever i would meet people and somehow tom waits would come up and if i met others that were <laughs> really into him i have some really intense friendships based solely on that well, like we would have a moment yeah. where we would like look at each other and one of us would mention and the other one would be like yeah 
and then you know they're okay. And then you <laughs> connect on a level that is fundamental to both of you. Right. That it, it's like a it's like a click of a friendship. It says that, something about the person yeah. that they can appreciate. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, that they've done it on their own and they've uh-huh. like it, like gone yeah. through parts of it, you know, whatever. It's it's good. But well I'm relieved that I liked it. <laughs> yeah, this this was a test, Eric. <laughs> well, I'd be interested if you ever pick up any of his other stuff. Oh, I have, I have every intention. I would be happy to give you a playlist of his specifically gospel songs because mm-hmm. I love them so much. And there's there's the like gospel. usually at least one on each record yeah. that has yeah. a gospely vibe yeah. to it. And they're so they just I love them so yeah. much. Yeah. Well, I, I think we should do our hits and misses. Mm. Uh, and, and Eric, since you, uh, were the one to pick this album, how about you do the miss for us? What, what, what do you think is the oh, low oh, point, relatively oh, speaking? I'll do the miss. Well, you know, it's a little, uh, a bit of an unfair choice I, and, I, and that is Midtown because it's purely an instrumental mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, you know, it's, it gives credence to his ability to produce music with odd instruments and, or create unusual sounds with normal instruments, however you want to put it. But I, I just I just couldn't yeah. dig it. And one of the one of the appeals to me of Tom Waits is his voice. And mm-hmm. if his voice isn't there, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, kind of loses that that one stands out as the song, the the individual song that I was my least favorite. However, um, if I, I had to identify one that still had his voice in it that I didn't care for as mm-hmm. much, mm-hmm. perhaps mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the ones I identified a little while ago that uh, just have the normal traditional sort of sound mm-hmm. to them, you know. Is, and I don't want to bash them at all, but um, when I listen to Tom Waits, you know, I, I want that gravelly. I want mm. I want that really interesting mm-hmm. and you know, weird noises and all. He does this <laughs> traditional sort of songs. You know, mm. they're they're less appealing to me. Mm-hmm. And so you know that doesn't narrows it down to three, maybe four songs on this album that kind of fit that or have that quality. Um, and I don't want to like identify one of these that I yeah. like the least. It's just oh. uh, that characteristic that was. Less appealing to me. I, I think I think your Midtown choice was was pretty apt because yeah. I I my, my note about that was it seems a little pointless to have an instrumental on a Tom Waits album you know and, yeah and yeah, you know you it, it fits the mood of the album sure you know but it, it's like his lyrics and his voice are just such a integral right. part of what makes him so good that no and, I'm, not, I'm not as interested in hearing what he can do just instrumentally you know yeah, like, he, he can do that and sing right yeah you know, and it occurred to me perhaps you know. This song is identified as an individual song. Maybe it was meant to be a lead into the next song or a, tra- a trailer on the previous song. Uh, the other instrumental? You mean? No, no. Midtown comes after Rain Dogs and prior to yeah. Ninth and Hampton. Maybe it was somehow tied to those when he yeah. initially recorded it. Maybe. Well, the, the other instrumental, uh, uh, Bride of Rain Dog, mm-hmm. seems to me, I think it was more mm-hmm. probably a continued jam from the song Rain Dogs because it has a very similar mm-hmm. feel mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. It's a fun one. Yeah. Oh, it is. I I, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate Ooh. that a lot more as an instrumental than the others. But. Can we listen to it? Oh, sure. It's short, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just that. Bright over Dog. And the way they fade in makes mm-hmm. me think it was also just coming in on a jam. So. I mean, kind of out of context of the album, it seems like meaning, uh, not meaningless, but just like all over the place. But it just coming in among the other songs, it really, it, it feels, it feels right. 
Um, so, Sarah, we should do the uh, the hits. What, what is your hit on the album? I, well, I, I'm well, sure it's hard to choose. But. Well, no, it, it's not hard for me to choose. Oh, okay. Because okay. for me, I mean, I, I love all of these songs. Oh, you let know, me I have the music here. Yeah, okay. <laughs> clear for me is Tango Till They're Sore. Oh, it just weaves a spell on me. Mm-hmm, and I, mm-hmm. the, the second it starts playing, I just, I just get pulled into this space. And I think that that trombone playing is so perfect. It's one of the best things I've heard in my life, the trombone <laughs> on that song. Um, but I also really like uh, Anywhere I Lay My Head because mm-hmm. it's one of those, one of the things I love about Tom Waits is singing along to it really loudly when I'm drunk because mm-hmm. it's one of the greatest things ever. <laughs> like I've done that a lot, like cooking or whatever. You know, I've had a couple glasses of wine and I'm cooking and I love also the uh, the horns at the end of that song. Yeah. I think it's so much fun. It's just this drunken, rocking, New Orleans style, just like marching down the street jazz music. And yeah. It's, Oh, it's I really glorious. love his voice in this and, one also. And, yeah, yeah. And I think the lyrics could just simply, if you you could read them just as being about like coming out of a hangover and mm-hmm. uh, you know, dealing with the effects of the night before, or it could be a more like overarching uh, down and out kind of song. You might uh, have to play a little great. bit of that one also. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's, it's at the end of the screaming. album. So yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. That voice, oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, definitely the New Orleans uh, vibe there. I'd love to be a Sad. fly on the wall in your kitchen when you're just melting. This <laughs> oh God, yeah, yeah. that'd be awesome. It's not great, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm sure it's awesome. It's fun. He's got so many good ones to sing along loud and drunkenly too. It occurred to me when I heard this first couple times that mm. I wanted to give it a shot sometime <laughs> <laughs> sounds fun to sing doesn't it it, it totally sounds does. like there's nothing he's not holding anything back not no a thing, not a thing but that's the beauty of his voice he's able to pull that off and right. it sounds and great yeah to be able to just give in to your I don't know it's, there's, you gotta get rid of all inhibition. pretensions inhibitions yeah. uh, self-consciousness you know <laughs> It's a singularity of artistic yeah. vision too. Yeah. To like really believe so deeply in the vibe of the thing that you're doing to just like rip it out of yourself like that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. one of the you know you you just vocalize one of the one of the real basic appeals of his music and he's like I don't give a fuck if you like this or not this is what I want to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's clearly and I'm just gonna yeah. He doesn't scream it in your face. Right. Watch me beat on this door with a two by four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know it's gonna sound cool. There's um I also love he does this thing. Um there's a song on Bone Machine, I can't think which one it is, where he this is gonna blow your mind if you haven't heard him do this, where he'll sing a song and record himself as the chorus of the song. And it's insane. It's like five versions of him mm. singing a song right together, on. like right slightly on. off kilter. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'll be going there. Well, my, uh, my, my hit on the album is, I think I've already said it, I still have to pick Jockey Full of Bourbon because it's just mm. probably the catchiest song on the album, I would say, and, and, and that's not why I like it so much, but it's just, it's just got such a cool vibe to it. And my first Tom Waits song and hmm. my last one, probably. <laughs> <laughs> we'll play the um, two funerals, that you can see. Yeah, exactly. Jockey right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that would say about me, but... Um, and one thing I wanted to point out, did, I, I never really thought about what a rain dog was before. No. I didn't either, actually. I, I just accepted it. And I, I, this weird word. Usage. It turns out it actually is a thing. 
it refers to the fact that a dog in the rain can't smell the scents that mark its territory, so it can't find its way home. Oh, and uh, beautiful. Yeah, and, and it, hearing that, uh, it definitely mm. fits in with the, the totally vibe on this album. Yeah. Yeah. 